This is Focal Point for the 20th of January 2011. The top 10 online trends for 2011. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira, for this week's edition. Hello, Chris. How are you? Well, thanks, Gihan. How are you? I'm happy, and happy New Year to you. I know it's a little bit late in the month, but happy New Year anyway. Yep, happy new year to you and to our listeners as well. Yes, so I think 2011 is going to be a pretty exciting year, and we're going to start off the first podcast episode for this year by talking about what we think are the top ten online trends. So things that we think are going to be important for you, both in your personal life and your professional life. So some of them are business oriented, some of them are personal, and we've each of us come up with our, our, what we think are the top five trends, and in no particular order, unless you've ordered yours in a particular way, Chris. No, I've just tried to、uh, get a kind of theme going between each one, but、um, yeah, no particular order, as you say. Okay, so the first couple of trends that we're going to talk about are things that are kind of old technologies, but we think are not yet dead or having a resurgence. And the, the first one is、uh, mine, which is the resurgence of reading. So there's certainly been no doubt that in the last couple of years, video has certainly been the hot online medium, and it's now pretty common knowledge that YouTube is the world's second biggest search engine. But there's a trend that I think is going to happen in 2011. I think we're going to see a resurgence of the written word. So what I mean by that is not necessarily books, certainly not printed books, but written materials, so text. So let me give you a quick example. Recently, a couple of weeks ago, I bought a book on Amazon.com, but I bought the ebook version. I bought it on my Kindle. It's a book by Gar Reynolds,、uh, who's the author of Presentation Zen, which is a book that I've already got, and he releases a second book called The Naked Presenter. And I follow him on his blog. So when he, in January he announced that he had this new book, I. Went to the blog post, read it straight away. He had a link to Amazon.com. I clicked the link, went to Amazon, and I saw I could buy the printed version for about fifteen dollars plus postage, or I could buy the Kindle version for ten dollars. And、uh, I don't have a Kindle, but I do have a Samsung Galaxy Tab, which has a Kindle app on it. And so I was straight away. There's no contest. I just paid the ten dollars, downloaded it, and within five minutes I had it in my hot little hands. And and I think that sort of trend is going to be. It's certainly not common at the moment, but it's going to become more common. And I think it's, there's, there's four reasons for that. So the first thing is,、uh, it's just the idea that you have to market by using content. So smart businesses know that they need to become, rather than pushy salespeople, they need to become trusted advisors. And you can't just do that with some of the social media tools like being friends on Facebook, tweeting, and connecting on LinkedIn. The thing is, you really have to create valuable content. And the written word is much easier. So it's easier to do blog posts, articles, e-books, special reports than to create video. And actually, creating video isn't that hard, but There's a perception that it is, and that it has to be of a very high quality, even though it doesn't. The second thing is the idea about re- reimagining content, and that's a phrase that I got from another book that I downloaded onto my Kindle called "Content Rules." And there, this idea is that there's so much existing material out there in text form that is fairly easy to massage it and publish it again. So you can take a printed e- a printed book and deliver it as an e-book. You can take a whole bunch of articles and combine them into a special report. You can take a blog and publish it as a book, as Seth Godin has done. So it's easy to, to To take your content and reimagine it into a different form. 
So then the third thing is this idea of this consumer technology. So the thing like a Kindle or the iPad or the Galaxy Tab. And it's not just about e-readers for reading e-books. It's about other content as well. We've talked about using uh, Google Reader to read blog posts or the Read It Later app to read blog posts on your iPhone or your iPad or your Android smartphone. And I said there were four reasons. So the fourth one is the whole idea of distribution. So it's one thing to create the content, and it's another thing for consumers to have access to it, but there needs to be something that brings those two together. And we've got that now. So we've now got solid ways to con- uh, to connect our content producers with the content consumers. So Amazon.com, like we've already talked about, or the iTunes Store, are examples where ordinary people, so not just technical people like, uh, like us, Chris, but ordinary people can go online and get access to some of this content. So for all those reasons, I think we're going to see a resurgence of the printed word, or if you like, of text. Okay, Giha. Well, my first trend uh, for 2011 is titled, Email is Dead Not. Apologies (laughs) apologies to Wayne's World fans out there. I'm showing my age. But uh, during the Christmas break, I caught up with friends of ours from our days as computer science undergrads, and amongst other things that uh, Jimmy and Jeff announced was that email is dead. And they claimed that Gen Y and the I generation aren't using email for electronic communication. Instead, they use social networks like Facebook and uh, texting via SMS. And so they reason that as these generations mature and become the dominant internet demographics, so too email usage is going to decline. And I have to admit that I've noticed this trend in my own online communications. So recently, when I've wanted to contact friends, instead of sending them an email, I've got them as friends on Facebook, and so I've used Facebook to send them a message. And Facebook seems to be uh, latching onto this trend as well, uh, so in so much that they announced a new technology in November uh, that's going to be um, integrating email and instant messaging and text messages. So in 2011, are we going to witness the death throes of email? Well, to paraphrase Mark Twain, I think rumours of email's death have been greatly exaggerated. Even if the supposition is true that the kids are abandoning Yoldi email as a means of communication, and it's not something I've checked the numbers on, but it does sound plausible, uh, then the trend seems to be confined to social communication. I don't believe that business communication is being conducted to any significant degree via social networks or SMSing. And in fact, uh, Gihan and I are working on a book called Out of Office in which we discuss how telecommuters should use different communication channels when they're working out of office. And to summarise that particular point, we advise choosing from a range of technologies depending on the nature of the communication or message that you're sending. So, for example, for non-urgent messages, which is the bulk of your communication, we advocate using email because it's least disruptive. If you've got an urgent one-to-one message, then use something like the phone or instant messaging or SMS. And then if you want a a many-to-one communication, use teleconferences or webinars. So whilst things like SMS are on the business communications radar, social networks still aren't. And in fact, one of my predictions for 2010, which sadly didn't come to pass, was that smart business would finally get social networks, but they didn't. So they're not using social networks to any significant degree, including not using them for communication between their employees. So while I do think there's going to be an increase in communication via social networks at the expense of email, it's going to be primarily for social communications. I think email's days as a venerable communications technology is going to uh, continue through 2011 and long into the 21st century. 
Yeah, um, I agree with you, Chris, and you've talked about business communication pretty much as internal communication, but I think email is enjoying a resurgence for external communication as well for marketers because I think smart business owners just recognize that there is great value in having a strong opt-in email list of customers, prospects, and influencers because people just, they really do value and protect their inboxes. So anybody who gives you permission to deliver stuff to their inbox means that it's a much more trusted communication. You've got a stronger connection with them, certainly than with social networking platform. So I think, if anything, it's enjoying a resurgence. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so my next uh, trend is the, the power of crowds. So I, I started titling this the wisdom of crowds, but maybe it's not about wisdom, but it's about the power. And one of the things, uh, one of the big uh, new trends, uh, one of the big new social tools is Groupon, Groupon.com, which is big in the US. It's not yet big in Australia, but there are similar sites in Australia, which is a deal of the day website. So this is not a new concept, but the way that Groupon works is that a retailer advertises and they say they have a special deal if a, if a minimum number of people sign up to it. And then Groupon sends it out to everybody who's opted into their list in that city. And if a minimum number of people sign up, then the deal goes ahead and everyone pays uh, the lower price, and if the minimum number of people don't sign up, then the deal just lapses. And this advantage is for the marketer and for the consumer. For the consumer, obviously, you get a great deal, and for the marketer, for the retailer, you get a whole bunch of new people, and also, it encourages people to share it with their social networks so that they get the minimum minimum number of people so they can all share in that deal. And Last month in December, Groupon turned down an offer from Google for $6 billion, uh, which is an amazing amount of money, and they turned it down. And just, just this month, they've, they've started talking about going public with a $15 billion IPO, so when they go public. And I just love this business model because there's a whole idea that uh, the Internet is the great disintermediation technology. In other words, it cuts out the middleman. So travel agents are the perfect example where you used to have to go to a travel agent because they would, they would connect you with the airline and they would get paid a small percentage by the airline. But now you no longer need to do that and travel agents are struggling. So Groupon uh, proves that you don't have to cut out the middleman. It doesn't have to be the case because it does sit between the customer and the supplier, but in a really, really highly value-added way. And it's not just about taking a taking a cut just because you are the middleman. So it's not an intermediary like, say, Apple with their iTunes store, but it's an intermediary that adds value to both parties. And I'm, I, I think we're going to see this trend growing in 2011, and I've already seen it in Australian sites like Jump On It and Spritz. And in fact, I've taken advantage of one of their one of their deals of the day. Excellent. And um, I've signed up with Living Socials. Uh, got a similar kind of deal. It's not quite the same as the Groupon model, but... Uh, um, I have yet to use a living social deal. But anyway, talking about uh, social networks and social tools, uh, my next trend is that social networks are becoming synonymous with Facebook. So uh, one of the acclaimed films during 2010 was entitled Social Network, and it was about Facebook's founder, Mark Zuckerberg. And like the film's t- title, Facebook has become synonymous with social networks. They're rapidly becoming what Americans sometimes call the 600-pound gorilla of social networking, and they look set to grow even more during 2011, with rumours that they're going to go public in 2012. Meanwhile, competitors, uh, competitors' social networks, such as MySpace, are going backwards. MySpace recently laid off almost half of its employees. Uh, I also heard another interesting statistic during 2010, and that, or towards the end of last year, and that was that Facebook overtook Google as the web's most visited website. 
Uh, and I don't think Google are going to sit back and uh, rest on their laurels. I think they're going to have to respond some way. And indeed, social networking seems to be what everyone is trying to, uh, the bandwagon that everyone seems to be trying to jump onto. And Google uh, are doing something similar. But rather than trying to come up with a social networking website to compete head-on with Facebook, it appears that they're going to attempt to try and build a kind of social network indirectly uh, that makes use of Google's existing products. So they announced uh, a technology called Google Me uh, towards the end of last year, which they described as, and this is a quote, a social layer across all products that will produce an activity stream generated by Google products. Google Buzz, does anyone remember Google Buzz, has been rewritten to be the host of it all. And the reason Google Buzz isn't currently working in Google Apps is because they, they use the latest Buzz to support this activity stream in apps. So all of Google's products have been refactored to be part of the activity stream, including Google Docs, etc. So they'll build a social graph around this stream. So we talked last year in one of our podcasts about the kind of tracking that um, that internet product internet companies like Google are using to track. Uh, users of the internet and learn about them in order to target advertising at them. And in the same way, Google is aiming to start collecting social information about you, so your social contacts, so that they can build a proxy social network. Rather than building it through a website like Facebook, they're going to try and glean this information from all of the other Google products that they already have. So that's quite a smart move that, that leverages Google's existing technologies without having to come up with a new social network to try and take Facebook on, to take on Facebook head on, because I think they probably wouldn't be able to do that successfully. So, sorry, go on, Gihan, you're about to say something. Oh, look, I'm just going to add a couple of things to what you said about the growth of Facebook, Chris. I, I saw recently somebody was predicting that at its current rate, uh, the, in fact, he was predicting that we would have, by the end of 2011, Facebook would have a billion users. So it's just over 500 million at the moment. Yeah. And it's predicting that that's going to double in this, in this next year. And there's also a little story about a month or so ago about uh, Mark Zuckerberg having a meeting in China with the head of China's biggest search engine, Baidu. And so there's that side of the rumor mill going as well about uh, Facebook wanting to break into China in a big way. Wow. Okay. Well, as I was going to say, I think Facebook is going to continue to dominate social network social networks during 2011, and uh, the information you just provided uh, adds grist to the mill. Uh, so I think other social network properties are going to have to settle for catering to niche demographics. So we have uh, successful social networks like LinkedIn that targets professional networking, or perhaps they're going to focus on specific geographies. So, for instance, uh, Google's Orkut is popular in Brazil and India, QZone in China, and VContact in Russian-speaking countries, although QZone's days might be numbered. Um, Nonetheless, I think there's a lot of room for innovation in social networking. Facebook could be doing things so much better, uh, and so the door remains open to people to innovate in the social networking sphere uh, and perhaps uh, take away some of the market share from Facebook. Great. Okay, so let's switch topics now. And this, these next couple of trends that we're, we're going to have one each are to do with, uh, we men- you mentioned a book, Chris, Out of Office, which is coming out early this year. And they're both to do with the whole idea of an out of office work, work style. And I, so my trend is that we're just going to see more and more organizations starting to embrace different out of office work styles for their people. So we're seeing a lot of independent business owners and solopreneurs doing that. So I'm doing that at the moment, but I think there's going to be a really big trend 
this year in particular for organizations to start embracing it. And I think there are three reasons for that. So one is that the cloud, so the, the internet and having data out in the internet makes it feasible. So you no longer need to be at a disadvantage when working out of your office. Now sometimes it may still be a disadvantage, but it doesn't have to be if you've got smart employees and smart organizations. The second thing is that technology makes it desirable. So, I mean, why should you have to battle traffic and pollute the environment and sit in an artificially lit cubicle, uh, catch all the germs that are going around in winter, when you, you really can enjoy a much better quality of life without necessarily a drop in productivity? And, and the third thing is that I just think society is just going to make it inevitable. So you can or, already, people are browsing Facebook at work, but on the other hand, they're checking email on their BlackBerry at home. So we've already blurred the line between our time at work and our time at home, and I think it's only a matter of time between before we blur the space between work and home as well. So I think all of those things are leading to 2011 being the year that there's going to be a real shift to out-of-office work styles. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point, that last one that you made. Another article I read recently, Kihan, is that smart companies are realising that the equipment that uh, that employees have is often better than the stuff that's provided through work. So the PC on your desktop or the phone that the company provides are pretty cheap and uh, unexciting, bland instruments, whereas often people have these powerful pieces of PCs at home and have smartphones as well. And uh, if they allow their employees to make use of these technologies, they get, they're more productive than if they just use the standard rubbish that the company supplies. And going on to my next trend... Uh, one of the uh, aspects that you mentioned with regard to out-of-office work lifestyle is that com- cloud computing makes it feasible. But one of the sectors of business that has been slow to adopt cloud computing is uh, large corporations or enterprises, which are by their nature slow to adapt to new technologies. Uh, and, and that's the case with cloud computing. And there are, one of the reasons for this, or some of the reasons for this, are the specific challenges that are faced by large enterprises when it comes to cloud computing itself. So I read an interesting article that listed five challenges that need to be faced by uh, enterprise cloud computing. The first of these is governance. So once an organisation puts all of its data into the cloud, there are certain government regulations that they have to comply with, and it becomes more difficult once a third party is responsible, at least in part, for the cloud's information and data. The second that uh, second challenge faced is security. Large corporations are notoriously uh, secretive and possessive of their data, and once it's out in the cloud, being uh, placed on a server that's possibly being shared by other other corporations, then there is a risk that uh, there can be security breaches. So they've ceded control to a third party for security, and uh, they're reticent to do that. Uh, The third challenge is availability and reliability. Now, we're all familiar with outages in things like Google Docs and Gmail. Uh, As individuals, we can cope with that. We can probably get on with something else. But when that happens to a large enterprise, then, sure, some individuals within the corporation, they can get on with other tasks. But somewhere, a few... a significant number of individuals are going to be affected uh, and that can be a more significant impact than would otherwise be on a, a, law, a small company or on individuals. Another issue is manageability. So what happens when uh, a service that you're that you put into the cloud needs to grow? Can it be scaled effectively to cope with larger numbers of users or processing larger amounts of data? 
And finally, is monitoring the performance of a cloud service. You want to know whether you have to scale a particular service. You have to know whether you've had outages or if there's problems with reliability. So you need to have good monitoring of just exactly how your cloud services are performing. So these are the challenges that are faced by large enterprises uh, before they take the leap into cloud computing. But I think that during 2011 and beyond, uh, companies, cloud service companies, are going to start offering services in the cloud that, uh, that meet these challenges and we'll see more and more enterprise customers using cloud computing. Yep, yep, and I think this is probably a good opportunity, Chris, to mention that we've already started, even though we haven't published a book yet, we've already started a blog at our website, outofofficebook.com. So if you're interested in these sort of issues around cloud computing and out-of-office work styles, whether you're a small business or a large corporation, then go and follow our blog at outofofficebook.com. Okay, so let's switch topics again, and uh, now we talk about mobile computing, which of course has been the big success story of 2010. So we've got a couple of trends coming up for 2011 as well, and and mine, my choice, is that I think that 2011 is just going to be the year of the tablet. So I, congratulations to Apple for breaking new ground with their iPad in 2010, and I must say that I was I was one of the skeptics, and I was pessimistic about the success of the iPad, but it's just done it's just done wonders for the whole idea of tablet computing, and it just shows the world the power of what you can do with the with the tablet computer so it turns on instantly it's small it's portable and you know like for 6 months for the first 6 months when the iPad came out Apple pretty much had the tablet market all to itself but that's pretty much changed now and there's a whole bunch of new tablets coming out, mostly based on Google's Android operating system. And I've got one. So I've got the Samsung Galaxy Tab. It's about half the size of the iPad, which means I can hold it in my hand. It's nice and compact. It's about the size of a paperback book. But it's bigger than phones, so it's much easier for reading, browsing, watching videos, and so on. And you know, it's incredible that in the first month or so, after it came out, it sold 1 million units, which is about the same as the iPad made in its first month of sales. And Samsung doesn't have Apple's iCult, as I call it, uh, following of people who will just go out and buy the latest Apple technology. I mean, to Apple's credit, they had to break new ground and convince people that the iPad was worthwhile. But still, it's amazing that even without that marketing clout, Samsung did as well as the iPad. And it's certainly not the first kid on the Android tablet block, but the Samsung Galaxy Tab at the moment is widely considered to be the best one out there. But I've already seen reports about some of the new tablets that are coming out from a number of manufacturers, and I think the Samsung Galaxy Tab and the iPad are going to face stiff competition from lots of other manufacturers, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, me too, Kihan. And uh, following on from that particular trend, I've got uh, three that are loosely grouped under the title of mobile computing trends. And you mentioned Android, and I think in 2011, I think we're going to see that it's sort of caught up with uh, iOS, Apple's operating system for mobile platforms. Uh, it's going to, it's caught up with and it's going to overtake it at the expense of operating systems such as iOS and the others from Nokia like Symbian and BlackBerry. Palms, uh, WebOS, and Windows Mobile 7. Uh, now, how, how are Apple going to respond? They, you know, they're innovators, and they, as you said, kudos to them for coming up with the iPad, and there are rumours that there'll be an iPad 2 during 2011, and uh, v- version 5 of the iPhone. Uh, so these are kind of upgrades to existing products, but I, I hope that um, Android's... Uh, Android's sort of dominance will spur Apple to innovate once again because they do seem to lead when it comes to uh, the, the hardware and the, and, uh, the formats uh, for mobile computing. 
Uh, as you mentioned, there are lots of uh, Android tablets coming on stream this year. The CES Computer Consumer Electronics Show was held recently, and it was awash with uh, new tablets running the Android operating system, so plenty of those to come out, as well as Android 3.0, which is the, the next generation of the Android operating system, codenamed Honeycomb. That's due to be released, and it introduces a lot of new features uh, that are aimed at things like tablet computers, so uh, multi-touch and that sort of thing. Uh, another trend is uh, that came out of the CES Consumer Electronics Show was that uh, this next generation of smartphones, sometimes dubbed superphones, so they're going to have more powerful dual-core processors, higher resolution touch displays, larger memories and storage, high-def cameras, higher bandwidth connectivities. All this means that they're much more powerful than the existing generation of smartphones, and that means they're platforms in which we can run more sophisticated mobile apps. So that's really exciting, a more powerful mobile device means some more sophisticated apps that we can run on them. And finally, there's uh, the, the next trend is ubiquity of smartphones. So they're, they're becoming the default mobile phone. So as people upgrade and replace their old mobile phones, they're going to be by default smartphones. So whereas uh, I think it was 2009 was dubbed the year of the smartphone uh, because they were the, the new UBU technology, the market penetration of smartphones hasn't been as high as it will become in 2011 when they really will become uh, the most common mobile phone platform. So I think all of this indicates, Chris, that mobile technology is really the way of the future. And uh, especially if you're in business, just make sure that everything that you do is at least mobile-enabled. Um, and if you can, take advantage of mobile technology. Right, so our last couple of trends don't really fit into any category. So the first one is one that's very topical at the moment, but I think it's a, just a sign of a growing trend for 2011. And I just think that there's going to be even, an even greater increase in online sales and e-commerce. So the reason it's topical right now is that there are a lot of Australian retailers at the moment, major Australian retailers, who are making a big fuss at the moment because they claim that the GST exemption on most online sales into Australia is harming their business. Now, that means that if you buy something for less than $1,000 at the moment, that's the threshold, and you import it into Australia, if you buy it online, you don't pay GST on it. Now, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that the 10% GST is the real reason that people are going online. But regardless of the rights or wrongs of this argument, there's no doubt that now e-commerce or online selling has really hit the mainstream. And I read one commentator, Steve Strauss, who was talking about the US. And he said there's one sector of the economy that's grown at 11% this year and there's on top of 11% growth last year as well. And he goes on to say those are amazing numbers, especially given the state of the economy the past few years. So what industry is growing at such a rate? E-commerce. Now, of course, we could say that e-commerce has been rising steadily over the last, well, over the last decade. So it, you might say, well, there's nothing new about this trend. But I think we have reached a tipping point. So online selling has really gone mainstream. In other words, the average consumer doesn't think twice about at least looking online when they're looking to buy something. They might still not know where to look and how to evaluate the best options, but they're no longer afraid to try. And that's a big thing because they used to be. They, people were just scared of going online and looking. Uh, to buy stuff on, on the internet And part of the reason for this Is that now some of the big names Like Apple and Amazon Have provided excellent online buying experiences So consumers are really learning To trust the process And because of that I think we're going to see a huge surge In online sales Absolutely 
so my final trend that I'm going to pick for 2011 is about politics. I've called it a tangled web. And as the internet becomes more interwoven into the lives of more people in more countries, so too it will become more of a political tool and a political target. If we look at recent events in Tunisia, it helps illustrate both of these points about being a tool and a target. Uh, so the Tunisian government started out by blocking access to certain websites. They injected code into Facebook blocking pages in what appeared to be an attempt to harvest passwords of Tunisian Facebook users. And certainly uh, Facebook groups aimed at criticising the government were shut down on Facebook. And in addition to that, uh, the recent leak of diplomatic cables by WikiLeaks included some, uh, kind of inflamed the situation in that they included cables that detailed the opulent lifestyle of the ruling Ben Ali family uh, that came about through corruption and cronyism uh, as a way, a way of operating their government. And finally, Tunisian activists uh, in used social networking tools such as Facebook and Twitter and various blogs to rally against the Ben Ali government and to broad vi broadcast video of the protests against the government to the outside world, eventually forcing the ben, ben Ali and his family to flee to Saudi Arabia. So just those events alone show us that uh, the internet was used both by the government uh, to repress uh, the uprising, as well as used by activists to protest against the government, eventually forcing them to flee. So I think the internet is going to increasingly become a political battlefield, for better or worse. Governments around the world are going to attempt to censor, regulate and control it in order to protect themselves. I mean, to protect their citizens. <laughs> what I meant to say. Hello, Stephen Conroy. And uh, political activists of all stripes, whether they're um, you know, protesting against the government, whether they're political parties themselves, or whether they're single-issue uh, political groups, they're going to use the internet, tool, internet tools as a platform for which, from which to attract support for their respective causes. Yeah, and I guess we should say that it's not just government, uh, governments like Tunisian governments and some of those smaller governments which we... You know, probably not surprised to hear that certain countries do want to regulate the internet and censor it and, um, you know, they oppose free speech. But it's not only those sort of countries we're talking about, Australia, the United States, the UK, countries which are generally considered to be and, and openly supportive of free speech, but they're also trying to control the internet. Absolutely, yeah. Great, so we've come through the end of our 10 tips, uh, our 10 trends for 2011 and things that, the, the tips are things that we should, we recommend that you keep an eye out on for the coming year. Yeah, and uh, we'll revisit them through the year as uh, new information comes to hand and of course, as usual, we review them at the end of this year to see uh, what those trends actually did look like. Absolutely, absolutely. So if you want to keep in touch with what's happening, just keep subscribing to the Focal Point podcast. All right, Gihan, speak to you next time. It's been good. Thanks very much. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.focalpointpodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to our past episodes or leave us your comments or questions. We look forward to having you back next time.